Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I think leverage is the most underutilized thing by a lot of beginning investors. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today. Matt Pacheni. How you doing, Matt? I'm great, Joe. Well, I'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation. Matt is the founder of Pacheni, which syndicates multifamily investments He's got a portfolio of over 8,000 units, about 2,400 or so as a general partner and about 6,000 as a limited partner. He's got 16 years of real estate experience. He's based in Brooklyn. His website, pacheni.com, and just published a book. Congrats on that. I know that can be a labor of love or just labor, (laughs) but either way, (laughs) the book is published. It's called Backstage Guide to Real Estate. So with that being said, Matt, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So for me, it all started back in 2001. I was in digital marketing and I had my own boutique agency in New York City doing website projects, website development, that sort of thing. And the dot-com bubble burst. A lot of my clients were either going out of business or just scaling back any digital marketing budgets that they had. And my business was basically imploding. And it just so happened that at that time, my landlord came to me and said, you got 90 days to get out. So that really (laughs) threw me for a loop to say the least. I needed to figure out what I was going to do and trying to find an apartment. Your company landlord or where you live? No, sorry. The landlord of my, no, of my home where I was living. Huh. Why? My residence. Were you not not paying rent? No, I was paying rent. So this property was owned by a relative of mine. And he let me move in there. I used to be an actor and he let me move in there when I was an actor. And the year that I moved in there, I made just a little under $8,000 for the entire year. (laughs) So out of the kindness of his heart, he was letting me stay there, but I was paying the maintenance fee. And I don't know exactly his whole financial situation, but he needed to sell the place. The whole financial markets were in a turmoil. So I'm sure he had some sort of situation where he needed to get rid of the place. It was a co-op in New York. So I needed to find a new place to live. 
And I needed to do that with, I'm sure you're aware of this, Joe, having your own business, especially the first few years of your business. You don't have a really wonderful books. You don't have a, a huge balance sheet and it's hard to substantiate that income. And especially when your business is imploding because everyone's going out of business, right? All your clients. So for me, I was like, how am I going to find a new place to live? I might as well have been climbing Mount Everest. It seemed an impossible task. What ended up happening was a client of mine, Showtime, the cable television channel, hired me to come in-house. They asked me to come in-house, and so I did, and was getting a steady paycheck and was looking to rent an apartment. I wanted to live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is where I had lived when I first moved to the city and was my favorite part of New York City, still is to this day. Well, except for Brooklyn, where I live now, but Manhattan, it's my favorite part. And I was looking, and the prices were just unbelievable. I couldn't afford really anything. Maybe I could squeak out something to rent. But what I found was up in Washington Heights, which as you know, Joe, because I know you live in the city, it's all the way on the tip of Manhattan, way, way, way north. I was able to find a place. My sister was living there at the time. And actually, she found a place on a bulletin board that I could buy. So I bought an apartment. And within two years, I sold that apartment. And I quadrupled my equity that I had put down for the down payment. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. What'd you buy it for? What'd you sell it for? I bought it for 150 Mm-hmm. And I sold it for around two fifty. Cool. So I had put thirty thousand dollars down, and I walked away with a hundred and thirty in my pocket. It was like one hundred sixty thousand. So it was thirty down and a hundred and thirty profit afterwards, mm-hmm. which was amazing. And I was said, "Wow, I got to do this again, <laughs> right? This is amazing." So I used that money, the profits from that to buy a new place, this time in the Upper West Side. So I was able to live where I wanted to. And I started wanting to invest in real estate and was trying to figure my way around. And back then, I don't even think podcasts existed at what year? all. Or what they, year is this when you uh, bought the place on Upper West Side? This was 2005. Okay. 
So I don't think podcasts existed, or at least I, I was unaware of them. I remember buying an iPhone. That was much later. That was a few years later. So iPods existed, but I don't think podcasts were really a thing at that time. So anyway, I bought that place. And then about a year later, I found a property in Northwest Connecticut that I wanted to buy. It was a piece of land. And I thought, oh, this will be a great investment. I'll buy this land and then sell the land in the future. Or I could build a house there and have a little place to get away from Manhattan, a little country Mm -hmm. home. So a few years later, I went ahead and I built that house. And what ended up happening was I met my wife just as I was finishing up building that house. I met the woman who would in the future, become my wife. And she had her parents' house on the other side of Connecticut, which we could go to from time to time. But there was this incredible demand to rent my property, this house that I built. So I was renting it as a vacation home and never, ever ended up really spending a lot of time there. But through that process, I learned a lot about renting homes. And I learned a lot about things like depreciation, accounting, the kind of boring stuff and looking at leases and all those types of things. And that's what really set me on the path to where I am today. Fast forward a few years, we ended up selling the place on the Upper West Side, moving to Brooklyn. And then about a year after we moved to Brooklyn, out of the blue, my wife got an unbelievable job opportunity, but it was in Miami, Florida. So we moved to Miami. I quit my job. I was working in advertising. Actually, Joe, you and I both worked at the same agency, but at different times, right? Mm -hmm. So I quit that job. And I moved to Miami with my wife and I was trying to figure out what did I want to do? I was looking at some agencies down there, but the agency world is much smaller down there, much smaller teams. It didn't really make sense. And I was kind of burned out. I had been working in the advertising world for about 18 years at this point, working at a bunch of different agencies and worked my way up the corporate ladder and it was fun, but I was kind of burned out. And I loved the real estate that I had been doing on the side as a little hobby And it was a passion of mine. So with that move, I decided to go ahead and see if I could make real estate a full-time job. And that was a little over six and a half years ago. And that's when I found out about real estate syndication, where investors could pool their capital together and their balance sheets together and their experience together and take down these otherwise unobtainable assets. And that's when I started down that path and started off as a limited partner, always wanted to be a general partner took me a few years to get my first deal as a general partner, but it's been a very fantastic and fruitful ride. And that's what that book that you mentioned earlier is about. It's about that journey. The first deal that you invested as an LP, how did you come across the general partner and what made you feel confident in the general partner that you invested? I met this gentleman at a first seminar that I went to. I went to a live seminar about syndication. This one was more of like a 30,000 foot. It wasn't really the details of with the syndication you could do. What's the uh, name of it? it? It was the secrets of successful syndication. It was the, the real, real estate, estate guys. guys. Yep. Yeah. They're awesome. I love those guys. So I went there and I learned about syndication in general. And I met a gentleman there. He's awesome. He's become one of my closest friends. But I became friendly with him and he had syndicated a deal before. He had done one deal before. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening, he was part of another group and I I joined this other group. And uh, what's the group you joined? Brad Sumrock's group. Okay, got it. So I joined that group and this gentleman was doing a deal and asked me if I'd be interested. And I was overjoyed, very excited to do it. So I joined that deal as a limited partner. And the deal didn't really do great. Look, the bottom (laughs) line is I didn't lose money on the deal and I learned a ton. 
from being a limited partner in it. And I spoke with the general partners about it. I learned so much from that deal. It was fantastic, but it didn't go as planned. But I mentioned this in the book, and the most important thing, I talk about this specific deal. And, and the biggest lesson for me from that deal is the deal matters and the market matters, but the most important thing is the sponsor. And I had faith in the sponsor. And this guy, he's an airplane pilot. And I was sure that this guy would be able to land the plane that it wasn't going to crash and burn. And honestly, it probably should have had it been anybody else. But this guy just stuck with it through thick and thin and got that plane to a safe landing. Maybe the flight was delayed quite a bit. Yeah, but, what, but it, what, what specifically safely. happened with the deal that it didn't perform? There was a number of different things, Joe, but we had much higher than expected vacancy. I think in hindsight, the general partners realized that they were renovating the units. They were doing interior renovations, maybe to a finish level that was above what the market really wanted or demanded. I think there was a number of miscalculations, little ones throughout mm -hmm. the whole thing that just when added together in totality, mm -hmm. just made the deal problematic. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have been there on my first deal as a general partner and continue to learn as well. So understood. You said you learned a ton from that first deal. What are some other lessons that you learned from that deal besides the sponsor being most important? Right. So there was that really being able to understand the market and the trends that are going on in the market, making sure that we're not over renovating. That was a big mistake that they made. There was a miscalculation. They were putting in granite countertops which was a complete overkill for that particular market. Some markets it's great for that. It wasn't great for that one. So I think that also property management was a big, big problem. They had a big problem with property management. They ended up switching managers. The property manager can really make or break the deal. And you have to very, very carefully vet. Look, I have a deal that I did and we had a problem with property management. We had to switch it over. Once we got a good property manager in there, it was like night and day. But those people who are in there day to day dealing with tenants and the toilets and the termites, right? They need to be top notch or your deal's going to fail no matter what. So those were some of the important things that I learned to look at. The other thing was I started to dig into the financials of the deal and going through that general ledger and that P&L and understanding what all those different things are, what they mean, how they affect the business. So part of it was when I invested that money in that deal, which for me, look, I put $50,000 into that deal. And for me, that was a very large chunk of change to put into an investment. I mean, besides buying a home that I controlled, putting it into something that someone else controlled just as one investment, that was a large thing for me. And I spoke with them about it and said, listen, I do want to sponsor these deals, which they knew. And I said, I want to be able to talk with you and learn from this experience. I made sure that I wasn't obnoxious about it. I wasn't calling them every day or every week, but every few months or so, I would set up a call and just learn from that experience, talk with them and find out what was going on. What were the challenges? And it made it a great learning experience for me. You mentioned that you had to fire a property management company as a general partner. And I'd like to get to that in a moment, but before we do, how many limited partner deals did you do until you did your first general partner deal? Five. And why five? Five limited partners. Why deals. not one or why not 15? Joe, I probably would have been okay with maybe even zero in my mind at that time. But I wanted to invest as a limited partner to gain some experience and see 
what other investors are doing. Joe, I've invested in one of your deals, so I know how you communicate with your investors, right? That's something important for me to learn and see how other people are doing things. I think you can learn a lot just through that process. But for me, I was looking for my first deal while I was doing these limited partner investments. And for me, the experience I got from the limited partnership was great. It was nothing compared to what I learned actually Mm -hmm. while I was doing the deals. But it takes a while as a new person in this business to sort of break in and break into a market. I looked in a couple of different markets before I ended up in the market where I found my first deal. And it took me a while to develop a rapport with the brokers. The first deal that I bought, besides the duplex I had in Brooklyn and some other single family, smaller single family things that I had done, was a $10 million, 132 unit development. And for a broker to have the faith that I can actually come up with the equity and the debt and close that deal, it takes a while to build that rapport and get the trust of a broker who's presenting your offers to a seller and say, yeah, I actually think Matt's going to be able to close on this deal. You say $10 million deal and it was 132 units? Yeah. Yeah. Did you it say was that a $9.9 million purchase price. No, no, no. Doesn't... Sorry if I was confusing. No, Sorry. The duplex is what I own in Brooklyn. The property that I'm talking about was in Lawrence, Kansas, which is outside of Kansas City. Yeah, it was 132 yeah, units, 9.9 million. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. That's right. Rock, rock, rock Chalk, chalk Jayhawk. Jay <laughs> yeah, <all right>. Okay. <laughs> I went to one of those games. It was amazing to splash that's, them play that's basketball. That's on my bucket it's list incredible. to go see the Jayhawks play. <laughs> Joe, hope, you can't and, buy tickets. So give me a call if you want to go. I have a couple well, connections. I, I, they I, don't I, sell them. I'm going to be wearing red and black whenever Texas Tech comes in to play them. And I'll be a, a fan of one for Texas Tech there, but would love nice. to experience that. Okay. So said, that was $75,000 a unit. I heard Brooklyn. I heard that amount. And I was wanting to. I was <laughs> a little confused. That. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So the property management company on one of your deals didn't work out. How do you know when you should fire the property management company and bring another one on versus try to work through whatever the issues are? It's a really hard thing to figure out. The transition is always going to be rough. As a limited partner, it sounds like you have had the experience, so you know as well. As a limited partner, I've seen it a number of times and it's a difficult thing. And this was a couple deals in for me, so it wasn't on my first deal. I was trying to avoid it. What happens is the first three to four months that you're in a deal, it's really hard to know how things are going. There's a lot of transition that's happening with the books and with the billing. You don't even get the first month's bills really until the second or third month. It just takes a few months to really get things going and see how things are going, really get that baseline, see where occupancy is, see how expenses are going, income, all of that kind of stuff, collections. And with this property manager, about three to four months in, I was starting to get a little nervous about them. And I had a conversation with them and we had multiple conversations over time. Eventually, I think we were about eight to nine months in on the deal when we actually had the transition. So obviously prior to the transition, I was talking with people, interviewing people, finding new property management company. And then there's also a whole thing that you have to do with your lender 
to get approval from the lender. So I wanted to wait sort of until the last minute to tell the existing property manager, because obviously if you tell them, it's quite likely that they would take their foot off the gas at that point in time. So I wanted to have all my ducks lined up in a row. And when I called to tell them, they were like, yeah, we kind of knew this was going <laughs> to mm-hmm. happen. So we did the transition. It's not easy. But just going it, back it, to my question, though, right? respectfully, sorry, but my question was, how do you know when you should change? Oh. Like what happens where it's like, all right, enough's enough. XYZ is happening. I have to make the change. Sure. Well, our occupancy was tanking in this particular instance. Occupancy was going low make readies were not getting done in time. There was problems with bills not being paid on time or even at all. So it wasn't just one little thing. There was a number of different things that were all happening at once. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors, I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year? Whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals, I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility within the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract. And she partnered with two other dealmaker mentoring students, and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to dealmaker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. And knowing what you know now about having worked with that property management company, 
What are some yeah. questions you would ask a future property management company that you perhaps didn't ask that one before most, engaging with them? Yeah, the most important thing for me is getting referrals from other operators that I know that are working with them. So the first question would be, who else in this market are you working with? What other ownership groups? And then I ask them, I try to understand what does their back office look like? What is their process for accounts payable? How do they deal with occupancy? What are their marketing plans? And one of the big things is retention. So how do they retain the residents that we have? Because the largest cost really is turnover, yep, right? Absolutely. So a lot of times we're doing a value add. So if someone moves out, it's not so bad because we can then renovate the units, but we don't want our occupancy to go down the toilet while all that's happening. So it's really a question of how are you communicating with the residents? What are you doing? What is your plan? How do you go about that retention? That's super important. And then also I like to understand what sort of bench they have. A lot of times you may have a maintenance person or a manager who, for whatever reason, decides not to stay at the property, at the company, whatever, they something happens. And that can be a really tumultuous time for a property. And I want to make sure that the company that I'm working with has some sort of support on the back end, some sort of bench. Maybe they have floaters. A lot of times a a company might have maintenance people that float from property to property, just people that they can bring on so that a property doesn't suffer if there is a personnel change. Taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think leverage is the most underutilized thing by a lot of beginning investors. I have a friend named Aaron who (laughs) likes to just pay everything off. But if you refinance properly, you can use that equity and grow your wealth exponentially. So that would probably be my best advice is to really look at the current assets that you hold. Because a lot of people talk about cash on cash or return on investment, but what is your return on equity? And Mm -hmm. looking at that, recapturing that stored equity can be phenomenal for you. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right. What deal have you lost the most amount of money on? A flip that I did. How much did you lose? (laughs) I lost $10,000, which was huge for me back then. Mm -hmm. And if you had to do it over again... What would you do? I wouldn't have bought that property. Well, I know. You had to buy it without an inspection. And so what happened was once we got in there, it was a lot worse than we had anticipated. Got it. So you you wouldn't buy a property without having an inspection. At this point, yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. That's a good I mean, unless it was like a ridiculous bargain basement kind of situation, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. There's too many unknowns. Agree. There's always exceptions to generalities, but generally speaking, that's a good approach. What deal have you made the most amount of money on? The townhome in Brooklyn, we were able to sell air rights to this property and basically take all of our equity out. So we don't really have any equity in it, number one, but number two, it's gone up in value dramatically. Where'd you get the idea for air rights and high level? How do you go about selling them? Well, I wrote a whole chapter about that in my book. I had heard about it when we bought this property. We knew there was additional development rights. Essentially what happens is depending on the size of the property, you can build a building of a certain square footage. If you haven't used all of that square footage, you can sell that square footage to the adjacent property. That's essentially what it is. It does not mean that they can build on top of your property or cantilever their building over yours, but it gives them additional square footage if they have availability on their lot to actually build if they meet the setback and height requirements. 
Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I like to support charities that deal specifically with either the arts. I have a whole background in the arts, and that's a whole other story, but also homelessness. When I was in Boston, I was an ambassador for a company called Caritas, a nonprofit that provided permanent housing for people. And I'm looking for something like that in New York. If I can find something, I just moved back a few months ago. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can go to Pacheni.com. It's P like in Peter, I-C-H-E-N-Y.com. There you can get the book. You can sign up for my free newsletter, which has lots of great information. And you can just learn more about me. Check out the blog. And Pacheni.com is also listed in the show notes. Matt, thank you for being on the show, talking about your experience leading up to this point, lessons learned, and also sharing a little bit about the book that was just published, Backstage Guide to Real Estate. Congrats again on that book and grateful for our conversation. Hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe.